Third Nephi chapter 27. This chapter is the Savior's testimony concerning the operation of his atonement and why the church should be called after his name. It is interesting that from the very beginning the disciples called the church by the name of the Church of Christ, as indicated at the end of the last chapter. But when the disciples circulated away from Bountiful and into the outer regions, they were criticized for using this very simple name. We are not told what alternative names were suggested, but there was enough controversy over it that the disciples met together in prayer to get the Savior's instructions. And it came to pass that as the disciples of Jesus were journeying and were preaching the things which they had both heard and seen, and were baptizing in the name of Jesus, it came to pass that the disciples were gathered together and were united in mighty prayer and fasting. And Jesus again showed himself unto them, for they were praying unto the Father in his name. And Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said unto them, What will ye that I shall give unto you? And they said unto him, Lord, we will that thou wouldst tell us the name whereby we shall call this church, for there are disputations among the people concerning this matter. The Savior seemed surprised that the disciples could not defend their position in calling the Savior's church simply the Church of Christ. Notice that the confusion was not among the disciples, but, quote, among the people, unquote. And the Lord said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Why is it that the people should murmur and dispute because of this thing? Have they not read the Scriptures, which say ye must take upon you the name of Christ, which is my name? For by this name shall ye be called at the last day. And whoso taketh upon him my name, and endureth to the end, the same shall be saved at the last day. Now Jesus concentrates on the core of the gospel program, which is to do everything in the name of Christ. It will be recalled that our discussion of the atonement in Alma chapter 34, that the intercession of Jesus Christ is a key to our advancement up to the entire plan of eternal progression. Therefore whatsoever ye shall do, ye shall do it in my name. Therefore ye shall call the church in my name, and ye shall call upon the Father in my name, that he will bless the church for my sake. And how be it my church, save it be called in my name? For if a church be called in Moses' name, then it be Moses' church. Or if it be called in the name of a man, then it be the church of a man. But if it be called in my name, then it is my church, if it so be that they are built upon my gospel. Verily I say unto you, that ye are built upon my gospel. Therefore ye shall call, whatsoever things ye do call, in my name. Therefore if ye call upon the Father for the church, if it be in my name, the Father will hear you. And if it so be that the church is built upon my gospel, then will the Father show forth his own works in it. 
From earliest times, men have thought they could improve upon the gospel plan and thereby make themselves famous. Those who corrupt God's kingdom in this manner lose their place in the celestial kingdom and are hewn down or given a resurrected body of a lower kingdom so that they can never come again into the glorious presence of the Father lest they be destroyed. But if it be not built upon my gospel and is built upon the works of men or upon the works of the devil, verily I say unto you, they have joy in their works for a season, and by and by the end cometh, and they are hewn down and cast into the fire, from whence there is no return. For their works do follow them, for it is because of their works that they are hewn down. Therefore remember the things that I have told you. Jesus now bears his testimony concerning the gospel plan and the key role which the atonement provides for the salvation of the children of men. Behold, I have given unto you my gospel, and this is the gospel which I have given unto you, that I came into the world to do the will of my Father, because my Father sent me. And my Father sent me, that I might be lifted up upon the cross. And after that I had been lifted up upon the cross, that I might draw all men unto me, that as I have been lifted up by men, even so should men be lifted up by the Father to stand before me, to be judged of their works, whether they be good or whether they be evil. And for this cause have I been lifted up. Therefore, according to the power of the Father, I will draw all men unto me, that they may be judged according to their works. There are two key phrases in the next two chapters. One is that we cannot inherit the celestial kingdom unless we endure to the end. The second is that if we become careless and fail to endure to the end, we are assigned to one of the lower kingdoms forever. Once we have been hewn down, so to speak, with resurrected bodies of a lower order, we never can return to the celestial order of things. This is why we must endure to the end. And it shall come to pass that whoso repenteth and is baptized in my name shall be filled. And if he endureth to the end, behold, him will I hold guiltless before my Father. At that day when I shall stand to judge the world, and he that endureth not unto the end, the same is he that is also hewn down and cast into the fire, from whence they can no more return because of the justice of the Father. Since no unclean thing can enter into the presence of the Father, the plan of salvation is set up to cleanse us of our sins, and that can only be done by bringing every aspect of our lives under the atonement, and then enduring to the end. And this is the word which he hath given unto the children of men, and for this cause he fulfilleth the words which he hath given, and he lieth not, but fulfilleth all his words. And no unclean thing can enter into his kingdom, 
therefore nothing entereth into his rest, save it be those who have washed their garments in my blood, because of their faith, and the repentance of all their sins, and their faithfulness unto the end. The Savior continually emphasizes the simplicity of the plan of salvation. There is nothing complicated about it. We simply need to repent of our sins and then go through the ordinances of cleansing and exaltation. Now this is the commandment. Repent, all ye ends of the earth, and come unto me and be baptized in my name, that ye may be sanctified by the reception of the Holy Ghost, that ye may stand spotless before me at the last day. Verily, verily, I say unto you, this is my gospel. And ye know the things that ye must do in my church, for the works which ye have seen me do, that shall ye also do. For that which ye have seen me do, even that shall ye do. Therefore, if ye do these things, blessed are ye, for ye shall be lifted up at the last day. Jesus next declares that there is a sacred responsibility on the part of the saints to record the history and doctrines of the kingdom. We are a record-keeping people, and out of the books we will ultimately be judged. Of course, human records are never perfect. However, there is a record kept in heaven which is perfect, and it is out of God's record that we are ultimately judged. Write the things which ye have seen and heard, save it be those which are forbidden. Write the works of this people, which shall be, even as hath been written of that which hath been. For behold, out of the books which have been written, and which shall be written, shall this people be judged. For by them shall their works be known unto men. And behold, all things are written by the Father. Therefore, out of the books which shall be written, shall the world be judged. In this next verse, Jesus repeats a statement he made to his followers in Jerusalem. He said, quote, What manner of men ought ye to be? Verily I say unto you, even as I am. Unquote. Jesus is the great exemplar. He is the ideal model, the leader. Our task is to faithfully follow him. And know ye that ye shall be judges of this people, according to the judgment which I shall give unto you, which shall be just. Therefore, what manner of men ought ye to be? Verily I say unto you, even as I am. In the next verse we hear that Jesus is soon to bid farewell to his Nephite disciples and ascend to his Father for the last time. But he is leaving with them the Spirit, which is the great communicator between the Father and his disciples. Whatsoever needful thing they ask for in the name of Jesus will be given them. And now I go unto the Father. And verily I say unto you, Whatsoever things ye shall ask the Father in my name shall be given unto you. Therefore ask, and ye shall receive. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For he that asketh receiveth, 
and unto him that knocketh it shall be opened. And now, behold, my joy is great, even unto fullness, because of you, and also this generation, yea, and even the Father rejoiceth, and also all the holy angels, because of you and this generation, for none of them are lost. Behold, I would that ye should understand, for I mean them who are now alive of this generation, and none of them are lost, and in them I have fullness of joy. Jesus says his joy is full to overflowing because of all the human beings living in America at that time. None will be lost. In fact, as we shall see later, within two years, every human being living in the promised land will become a member of the church. What a fantastic prophecy. But behold, it sorroweth me because of the fourth generation from this generation, for they are led away captive by him, even as was the son of perdition. For they will sell me for silver and for gold, and for that which moth doth corrupt, and which thieves can break through and steal. And in that day will I visit them, even in turning their works upon their own heads. And it came to pass that when Jesus had ended these sayings, he said unto his disciples, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. But wide is the gate, and broad the way which leads to death, and many there be that travel therein, until the night cometh, wherein no man can work. Now as Jesus prepares to leave them, he reminds them that the key to salvation is to follow the straight and narrow path that leads to the tree of life. We must not become discouraged when we observe that relatively few people make the grade. Salvation is an individual achievement. Each must find the way to stay on the path because certain things have to be accomplished during our earth life, or the sleep of death will overtake us, and the night cometh wherein no man can work. Third Nephi chapter 28 Now we come to the climax of the Savior's mission among the Nephites. However, before he ascended to heaven, he allowed each disciple to express an ultimate wish from Jesus. Three of them asked for the same wish as had John the Beloved. They would like to remain in the flesh until the second coming. Nevertheless, they would be quickened so they could not be slain. And it came to pass, when Jesus had said these words, he spake unto his disciples one by one, saying unto them, What is it that ye desire of me, after that I am gone to the Father? And they all spake, save it were three, saying, We desire that after we have lived unto the age of man, that our ministry wherein thou hast called us may have an end, that we may speedily come unto thee in thy kingdom. And he said unto them, Blessed are ye, because ye desired this thing of me. Therefore, after that ye are seventy and two years old, 
Ye shall come unto me in my kingdom, and with me ye shall find rest. It is interesting that each of these nine disciples knew exactly the year they would die. As Jesus turned to the other three, he could not get them to express their wish, but he discerned what it was and granted it to them. Here is what it says. And when he had spoken unto them, he turned himself unto the three and said unto them, What will ye that I should do unto you when I am gone unto the Father? And they sorrowed in their hearts, for they durst not speak unto him the thing which they desired. And he said unto them, Behold, I know your thoughts, and ye have desired the thing which John, my beloved, who was with me in my ministry, before that I was lifted up by the Jews, desired of me. Now Jesus tells these three disciples what lies ahead for them in the future. It is marvelous to contemplate. Notice that they will maintain their status as ministering servants of the Lord until he comes in glory. Therefore more blessed are ye, for ye shall never taste of death. But ye shall live to behold all the doings of the Father unto the children of men, even until all things shall be fulfilled according to the will of the Father when I shall come in my glory with the powers of heaven. And ye shall never endure the pains of death. But when I shall come in my glory, ye shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye from mortality to immortality. And then shall ye be blessed in the kingdom of my Father. And again, ye shall not have pain while ye shall dwell in the flesh, neither sorrow save it be for the sins of the world. And all this will I do because of the thing which ye have desired of me. For ye have desired that ye might bring the souls of men unto me, while the world shall stand. In the next verse the Lord promises them a fullness of joy such as the Father has. Then in the eleventh verse he says, Mankind received the Holy Ghost because of Jesus and the Atonement. Once again, we see how essential the intercession of Jesus is to facilitate every aspect of the Father's blessings to his children. And for this cause ye shall have fullness of joy, and ye shall sit down in the kingdom of my Father. Yea, your joy shall be full, even as the Father hath given me fullness of joy, and ye shall be even as I am, and I am even as the Father, and the Father and I are one. And the Holy Ghost beareth record of the Father and me. And the Father giveth the Holy Ghost unto the children of men because of me. Now Jesus touched nine of his disciples, but not the three who were caught up to heaven and heard unspeakable things that would prepare them for their great mission. And it came to pass that when Jesus had spoken these words, he touched every one of them with his finger, save it were the three who were to tarry. And then he departed. And behold, the heavens were opened, and they were caught up into heaven, and saw and heard unspeakable things. And it was forbidden them that they should utter. Neither was it given unto them power that they could utter the things which they saw and heard. 
Mormon the historian tries to explain the marvelous transition which occurred after these three were transfigured. They seemed to remain mortal, and yet they had the capacity to enjoy the powers and blessings of immortal beings. We learn from verse 26 that Mormon, around 385 A.D., had been ministered to by these three transfigured disciples. But even then he could not decide whether they were mortal or immortal. And whether they were in the body or out of the body, they could not tell. For it did seem unto them like a transfiguration of them, that they were changed from this body of flesh into an immortal state, that they could behold the things of God. But it came to pass that they did again minister upon the face of the earth. Nevertheless, they did not minister of the things which they had heard and seen, because of the commandment which was given them in heaven. And now, whether they were mortal or immortal, from the day of their transfiguration, I know not. But this much I know, according to the record which hath been given. They did go forth upon the face of the land, and did minister unto all the people, uniting as many to the church as would believe in their preaching, baptizing them, and as many as were baptized did receive the Holy Ghost. As these three went forth with the disciples to spread the gospel, their testimonies converted many people. Nevertheless, they were violently resisted by others. A portrayal of these three prophets being thrown into a fiery furnace will be found in volume 4, page 101. And they were cast into prison by them who did not belong to the church. And the prisons could not hold them for they were rent in twain. And they were cast down into the earth, but they did smite the earth with the word of God, insomuch that by his power they were delivered out of the depths of the earth, and therefore they could not dig pits sufficient to hold them. And thrice they were cast into a furnace and received no harm. And twice were they cast into a den of wild beasts. And behold, they did play with the beasts as a child with a suckling lamb, and receive no harm. And it came to pass that thus they did go forth among all the people of Nephi, and did preach the gospel of Christ unto all people upon the face of the land. And they were converted unto the Lord, and were united unto the church of Christ. And thus the people of that generation were blessed according to the word of Jesus. This last verse would indicate that the miraculous manner in which the lives of the three transfigured disciples were preserved actually did convert their prosecutors. This is supported by 4th Nephi verse 2, where it says, quote, The people were all converted unto the Lord upon all the face of the land, unquote. There is also the statement of the Savior in 3rd Nephi 27 and 31, where he refers to all of, quote, them who are now alive in this generation, and none of them are lost, period, unquote. And now I, Mormon, make an end of speaking concerning these things for a time. Behold, I was about to write the names of those who were never to taste of death, but the Lord forbade. Therefore I write them not, for they are hid from the world. But behold, I have seen them, and they have ministered unto me.
Notice that the three transfigured Nephites are never to taste of death, and yet when their mission is completed, we know they cannot be resurrected and exalted until they have passed through the travail of death. This must happen to all of those who are transfigured. The Lord said this is necessary because the spirit must be separated from the body long enough to be quickened. Then the quickened spirit becomes the means by which the body is quickened in the resurrection. The body is resurrected to that same degree of glory to which the spirit was quickened. And that's in Doctrine and Covenants section 88 verses 27 and 28. The spirit does not need to be separated from the body for a long period of time. The Lord told the three Nephites that when he came in glory, they would be changed, quote, in the twinkling of an eye from mortality to immortality, unquote. And that's in 3 Nephi chapter 28, verse 8. The three Nephites had actually ministered to Mormon, and they had also ministered to Moroni, and that's found in Mormon, chapter 8, verse 24. Mormon says that even though he had this close association with the three Nephites, he still could not tell whether they were mortal or immortal. And he says this in Third Nephi, chapter 28, verse 17. And behold, they will be among the Gentiles, and the Gentiles shall know them not. They will also be among the Jews, and the Jews shall know them not. And it shall come to pass, when the Lord seeth fit in his wisdom, that they shall minister unto all the scattered tribes of Israel, and unto all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people, and shall bring out of them unto Jesus many souls, that their desire may be fulfilled, and also because of the convincing power of God which is in them. And they are as the angels of God, and if they shall pray unto the Father in the name of Jesus, they can show themselves unto whatsoever man it seemeth them good. Mormon says the three Nephites will minister incognito to the Jews, Gentiles, and the tribes of Israel. In fact, by praying for permission, they can appear to anyone they desire. By this means, they will bring many souls to Christ, which was the reason for their original request to the Savior. Therefore great and marvelous works shall be wrought by them before the great and coming day when all people must surely stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Yea, even among the Gentiles shall there be a great and marvelous work wrought by them before that judgment day. And if ye had all the scriptures which give an account of all the marvelous works of Christ, ye would, according to the words of Christ, know that these things must surely come. And woe be unto him that will not hearken unto the words of Jesus, and also to them whom he hath chosen and sent among them. For whoso receiveth not the words of Jesus, and the words of those whom he hath sent, receiveth not him. And therefore he will not receive them at the last day. When a person has heard the gospel taught to him but rejects it, the consequences are monumental. And it would be better for them if they had not been born. For do ye suppose that ye can get rid of the justice of an offended God, who hath been trampled under feet of men, that thereby salvation might come? 
Jesus says that when a person rejects the gospel, it would be better if he had never been born. At least the decision to accept or reject the gospel would still be in the future. Once he has rejected the gospel and permanently abandoned the opportunity to change his mind, the door is closed. Mormon is still very curious about the three Nephites, and so he asked the Lord to tell him more about them. In the next five verses, Mormon records what the Lord told him. And now behold, as I spake concerning those whom the Lord hath chosen, yea, even three who were caught up into the heavens, that I knew not whether they were cleansed from mortality to immortality. But behold, since I wrote, I have inquired of the Lord. And he hath made it manifest unto me that there must needs be a change wrought upon their bodies, or else it needs be that they must taste of death. Therefore, that they might not taste of death, there was a change wrought upon their bodies, that they might not suffer pain nor sorrow, save it were for the sins of the world. Now this change was not equal to that which shall take place at the last day, but there was a change wrought upon them, insomuch that Satan could have no power over them, that he could not tempt them, and they were sanctified in the flesh that they were holy, and that the powers of the earth could not hold them. And in this state they were to remain until the judgment day of Christ. And at that day they were to receive a greater change, and to be received into the kingdom of the Father, to go no more out, but to dwell with God eternally in the heavens. Third Nephi, chapter 29. Now Mormon is coming to the end of the administration of Nephi the third, and so Mormon addresses his last two chapters to the Gentiles. Mormon knew that the coming forth of the Book of Mormon would come at the time when the Gentiles had taken over nearly the entire continent of America. Therefore, Mormon issues a warning to the Gentiles that when the Book of Mormon comes forth, there are going to be some major changes. And now behold, I say unto you, that when the Lord shall see fit in his wisdom that these sayings shall come unto the Gentiles according to his word, then ye may know that the covenant which the Father hath made with the children of Israel concerning their restoration to the lands of their inheritance is already beginning to be fulfilled. And ye may know that the words of the Lord which have been spoken by the holy prophets shall all be fulfilled. And ye need not say that the Lord delays his coming unto the children of Israel. The most significant thing about these two verses is the fact that conditions will begin to shift radically so that the descendants of Lehi will replace the Gentiles as the principal occupants of America. The cleansing of America and the restoration of the American continent to its rightful heirs will take sufficient time to make some of the people think the Lord has delayed his coming. Mormon warns the Gentiles and the Israelites who think the prophecies of the Lord have been postponed. The next three verses is the Savior's warning to both the Gentiles and the Israelites. And ye need not imagine in your hearts that the words which have been spoken are vain. For behold, the Lord will remember his covenant which he hath made unto his people of the house of Israel. 
and when ye shall see these sayings coming forth among you, then ye need not any longer spurn at the doings of the Lord, for the sword of his justice is in his right hand. And behold, at that day, if ye shall spurn at his doings, he will cause that it shall soon overtake you. Woe unto him that spurneth at the doings of the Lord! Yea, woe unto him that shall deny the Christ and his works! In the following verses, the Lord has a special warning for the atheists and agnostics, as well as the professional preachers who teach apostate doctrines because they are popular, and these practices increase their revenues. Yea, woe unto him that shall deny the revelations of the Lord, and that shall say the Lord no longer worketh by revelation, or by prophecy, or by gifts, or by tongues, or by healings, or by the power of the Holy Ghost. Yea, and woe unto him that shall say at that day to get gain, that there can be no miracle wrought by Jesus Christ. For he that doeth this shall become like unto the son of perdition, for whom there was no mercy according to the word of Christ. Mormon closes this chapter with a warning to the Gentiles who have persecuted the Jews, Indians, and other remnants of Israel. They are about to feel the wrath of God to repay them for their wicked acts against God's people in the past. Yea, and ye need not any longer hiss, nor spurn, nor make game of the Jews, nor any of the remnant of the house of Israel. For behold, the Lord remembereth his covenant unto them, and he will do unto them according to that which he hath sworn. Therefore ye need not suppose that ye can turn the right hand of the Lord unto the left, that he may not execute judgment unto the fulfilling of the covenant which he hath made unto the house of Israel. 3 Nephi chapter 30 These final two paragraphs which conclude the book of 3 Nephi are instructions to the Gentiles of America from the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord knew how wicked the Gentiles of America would have become by the time the Book of Mormon and the restoration of the gospel got underway. Therefore the Lord instructed Mormon to give them a warning and a commandment. Hearken, O ye Gentiles, and hear the words of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, which he hath commanded me that I should speak concerning you. For behold, he commandeth me that I should write, saying, Turn, all ye Gentiles, from your wicked ways, and repent of your evil doings, of your lyings and deceivings, and of your whoredoms, and of your secret abominations, and your idolatries, and of your murders, and your priestcrafts, and your envyings, and your strifes, and from all your wickedness and abominations, and come unto me, and be baptized in my name, that ye may receive a remission of your sins, and be filled with the Holy Ghost, that ye may be numbered with my people who are of the house of Israel. Nephi 4 This segment of the Book of Mormon begins with a complete surprise. Suddenly we are in the administration of the son of Nephi the third. But what happened to his father? 
When did Nephi IV take over as historian and leader of the church? When were the records and all the Nephite memorabilia turned over to him? The record is silent. Perhaps this is for a good reason. Mormon had been told not to record the names of the three Nephites, and it is highly possible that they included Nephi III. It is even possible that another one was his brother Timothy, whom Nephi had raised from the dead. A third disciple who could have qualified for this high assignment was Timothy's son Jonas. Because they were all of one family, it may have been the prudent reason not to have named them. In 3 Nephi chapter 19, verse 4, Mormon lists these three men as the first of the disciples, and this may be significant since Mormon had been administered to by the three Nephites and knew who they were. This will be found in 3 Nephi chapter 28, verse 26. Now let us turn to the single chapter in the writings of Nephi the fourth. And it came to pass that the thirty and fourth year passed away, and also the thirty and fifth. And behold, the disciples of Jesus had formed a church of Christ in all the lands round about. And as many as did come unto them, and did truly repent of their sins, were baptized in the name of Jesus. And they did also receive the Holy Ghost. And it came to pass in the thirty and sixth year, the people were all converted unto the Lord, upon all the face of the land, both Nephites and Lamanites, and there were no contentions and disputations among them, and every man did deal justly one with another. This last verse was the sublime achievement which all of the Nephite prophets had longed to achieve. The supreme attainment in the days of Nephi the fourth was the fact that universal conversion of all the people included both Nephites and Lamanites. A portrayal of the massive conversion of the people is shown in volume 4, page 113. And they had all things common among them. Therefore there were not rich and poor, bond and free, but they were all made free and partakers of the heavenly gift. This verse confirms that Jesus had taught the people how to set up a Zion society. As with the New Testament saints, they had, quote, all things in common, unquote. But this does not mean that they mingled their property together. As Peter explained to Ananias in Acts chapter 7, each person kept his own property, but the saints voluntarily managed their property so that it might be of the greatest assistance in solving the problems of one another. This is what it means to have, quote, all things in common, unquote. What they actually did was to have their problems in common, and they all worked together to solve them. And it came to pass that the thirty and seventh year passed away also, and there still continued to be peace in the land. And there were great and marvelous works wrought by the disciples of Jesus, insomuch that they did heal the sick, and raise the dead, and cause the lame to walk, and the blind to receive their sight, and the deaf to hear. And all manner of miracles did they work among the children of men. 
and in nothing did they work miracles, save it were in the name of Jesus. In times of peace and righteousness, the people have always enjoyed a marvelous display of God's miraculous powers. And thus did the thirty and eighth year pass away, and also the thirty and ninth, and forty and first, and the forty and second, yea, even until forty and nine years had passed away, and also the fifty and first, and the fifty and second, yea, and even until fifty and nine years had passed away. Never before in the history of the Nephites do we recall the passage of twenty-five years of peace and righteousness without contentions and disputations. In the past the average was about three years. And the Lord did prosper them exceedingly in the land. Yea, insomuch that they did build cities again where there had been cities burned. Yea, even that great city Zarahemla did they cause to be built again. But there were many cities which had been sunk, and waters came up in the stead thereof. Therefore these cities could not be renewed. Peace and prosperity go together in times of righteousness. During the great destruction, when Jesus was crucified, many cities slid off into the sea, or were covered by mountains, or were swallowed up in the earth. But of those that remained, these past twenty-five years had been utilized to completely restore them. And now, behold, it came to pass that the people of Nephi did wax strong, and did multiply exceedingly fast, and became an exceedingly fair and delightsome people. And they were married and given in marriage, and were blessed according to the multitude of the promises which the Lord had made unto them. Apparently there was no distinction among the people whether they were Nephites or Lamanites. They freely intermarried and were a fair and delightsome people. And they did not walk any more after the performances and ordinances of the law of Moses. But they did walk after the commandments which they had received from their Lord and their God, continuing in fasting and prayer, and in meeting together oft, both to pray and to hear the word of the Lord. And it came to pass that there was no contention among all the people in all the land. But there were mighty miracles wrought among the disciples of Jesus. And it came to pass that the seventy and first year passed away, and also the seventy and second year, yea, and in fine, till the seventy and ninth year had passed away. Yea, even an hundred years had passed away, and the disciples of Jesus, whom he had chosen, had all gone to the paradise of God, save it were the three who should tarry. And there were other disciples ordained in their stead, and also many of that generation had passed away. It is astonishing that this people would come to the end of the first century, and it would pass away with nothing but the most favorable circumstances prevailing. It was promised that the nine disciples would live until the age of 72. That's found in 3 Nephi 28 and 3. And by this time they would have died, and others had been ordained in their stead. It is interesting that this did not happen among the Jewish apostles. By the time they had attained maturity, many were being scattered and persecuted or even slain, and the central continuity of the church was totally disrupted 
so that each city became a Christian enclave unto itself. And it came to pass that there was no contention in the land because of the love of God, which did dwell in the hearts of the people. And there were no envyings, nor strifes, nor tumults, nor whoredoms, nor lyings, nor murders, nor any manner of lasciviousness. And surely there could not be a happier people among all the people who had been created by the hand of God. There were no robbers, nor murderers, neither were there Lamanites, nor any manner of ites, but they were in one, the children of Christ, and heirs to the kingdom of God. And how blessed were they! For the Lord did bless them in all their doings, yea, even they were blessed and prospered until an hundred and ten years had passed away, and the first generation from Christ had passed away, and there was no contention in all the land. This description of the Nephite society almost sounds as though the millennium had arrived. And it came to pass that Nephi, he that kept this last record, and he kept it upon the plates of Nephi, died. And his son Amos kept it in his stead, and he kept it upon the plates of Nephi also. And he kept it eighty and four years, and there was still peace in the land, save it were a small part of the people who had revolted from the church and taken upon them the name of Lamanites. Therefore there began to be Lamanites again in the land. And it came to pass that Amos died also. And it was an hundred and ninety and four years from the coming of Christ. And his son Amos kept the record in his stead. And he also kept it upon the plates of Nephi. And it was also written in the book of Nephi, which is this book, and it came to pass that two hundred years had passed away, and the second generation had all passed away, save it were a few. Finally we read that Nephi the fourth died, and the records were turned over to his son Amos. As the keeper of the records, Amos fulfilled this mission for eighty-four years, and then he died in 194 A.D. The records were then turned over to Amos the second, by 200 A.D., all of the second generation of Christians had passed away. And now, I, Mormon, would that ye should know that the people had multiplied, insomuch that they were spread upon all the face of the land, and that they had become exceeding rich because of their prosperity in Christ. And now, in this two hundred and first year, there began to be among them those who were lifted up in pride, such as the wearing of costly apparel, and all manner of fine pearls, and of the fine things of the world. And from that time forth they did have their goods and their substance no more common among them. And they began to be divided into classes, and they began to build up churches unto themselves to get gain, and began to deny the true church of Christ. Now the inevitable deterioration of Christianity in America had commenced. The people had become sufficiently rich so that pride and costly apparel was beginning to divide the people into classes, and they had lost the spirit of a Zion society. They no longer had all things in common and shared their problems on a community basis. And it came to pass that when two hundred and ten years had passed away, there were many churches in the land, yea, there were many churches which professed to know the Christ, 
and yet they did deny the more parts of his gospel, insomuch that they did receive all manner of wickedness, and did administer that which was sacred unto him to whom it had been forbidden because of unworthiness. And this church did multiply exceedingly because of iniquity, and because of the power of Satan who did get hold upon their hearts. The religious ideology of the people began to collapse as certain congregations allowed people to partake of the sacrament unworthily and live profligate lives without being excommunicated. And again there was another church which denied the Christ, and they did persecute the true church of Christ because of their humility and their belief in Christ. And they did despise them, because of the many miracles which were wrought among them. The next sign of apostasy was the raising up of a church which openly denied Jesus Christ and persecuted those who did believe in him. Therefore they did exercise power and authority over the disciples of Jesus who did tarry with them, and they did cast them into prison. But by the power of the word of God which was in them, the prisons were rent in twain, and they went forth doing mighty miracles among them. Nevertheless, and notwithstanding all these miracles, the people did harden their hearts, and did seek to kill them, even as the Jews at Jerusalem sought to kill Jesus according to his word. And they did cast them into furnaces of fire, and they came forth receiving no harm. And they also cast them into dens of wild beasts, and they did play with the wild beasts, even as a child with a lamb. And they did come forth from among them, receiving no harm. The three Nephites had been this route before, but the miraculous blessings of the Lord converted people at an earlier time. In this new age it was a different story. A portrayal of the three Nephites being thrown into a den of lions is portrayed in volume 4, page 118. Nevertheless the people did harden their hearts, for they were led by many priests and false prophets to build up many churches and to do all manner of iniquity. And they did smite upon the people of Jesus, but the people of Jesus did not smite again. And thus they did dwindle in unbelief and wickedness from year to year, even until two hundred and thirty years had passed away. And now it came to pass in this year, yea, in the two hundred and thirty and first year, there was a great division among the people. In the past the curse of the Nephites had been the dividing of the people into factions. Now it was going to happen again. And it came to pass that in this year there arose a people who were called the Nephites, and they were true believers in Christ. And among them there were those who were called by the Lamanites, Jacobites, and Josephites, and Zoramites. Therefore the true believers in Christ, and the true worshippers of Christ, among whom were the three disciples of Jesus who should tarry, were called Nephites, and Jacobites, and Josephites, and Zoramites. And it came to pass that they who rejected the gospel were called Lamanites, and Lemuelites, and Ishmaelites. And they did not dwindle in unbelief, but they did willfully rebel against the gospel of Christ. And they did teach their children that they should not believe, even as their fathers from the beginning did dwindle. 
and it was because of the wickedness and abomination of their fathers, even as it was in the beginning. And they were taught to hate the children of God, even as the Lamanites were taught to hate the children of Nephi from the beginning. When a wicked people begin to conjure up imaginary abuses and bitter offenses for which they can generate hate, it has all of the ingredients necessary for open warfare. And it came to pass that two hundred and forty and four years had passed away, and thus were the affairs of the people. And the more wicked part of the people did wax strong, and became exceedingly more numerous than were the people of God. And they did still continue to build up churches unto themselves, and adorn them with all manner of precious things. And thus did two hundred and fifty years pass away, and also two hundred and sixty years. And it came to pass that the wicked part of the people began again to build up the secret oaths and combinations of Gadianton. And also the people who were called the people of Nephi began to be proud in their hearts because of their exceeding riches, and become vain like unto their brethren the Lamanites. And from this time the disciples began to sorrow for the sins of the world. The collapse of the Nephite culture made it easy for the Gadiantans to reestablish themselves, and the three Nephites could readily see that Satan was winning. And it came to pass that when three hundred years had passed away, both the people of Nephi and the Lamanites had become exceeding wicked, one like unto another. And it came to pass that the robbers of Gadianton did spread over all the face of the land, and there were none that were righteous, save it were the disciples of Jesus. And gold and silver did they lay up in store in abundance, and did traffic in all manner of traffic. And it came to pass that after three hundred and five years had passed away, and the people did still remain in wickedness, Amos died, and his brother Amaron did keep the record in his stead. As the ravages of wickedness spread over the people like a tidal wave, Amos the second died, and he turned over the records to his brother named Amaron. And it came to pass that when three hundred and twenty years had passed away, Amaron, being constrained by the Holy Ghost, did hide up the records which were sacred, yea, even all the sacred records which had been handed down from generation to generation which were sacred, even until the three hundred and twentieth year from the coming of Christ. And he did hide them up unto the Lord, that they might come again unto the remnant of the house of Jacob, according to the prophecies and the promises of the Lord. And thus is the end of the record of Amaron. These were extremely critical times, and so Amaron was looking around in desperation for someone to take his place. But seeing none, he was prompted by the Holy Spirit to bury up the plates so they could come forth at a later time when it was safe. Thus ends the writings of Amaron. If you liked this podcast and would like access to other materials by W. Cleon Skousen, you can find them online at skousenlibrary.com.